Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you're looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. Um, the irony about for a pastor, preacher, teacher who is speaking on the subject of faith is that, a, a, that somewhere inevitably in the middle of a series on faith, um, your own faith will be tested. So, and that was me this week, had a little bit of a rough one. Um, nothing terrible in my life. You know what I mean? There's a far worse things going on in almost every person's life in this room than mine, I'm sure. But, you know, you ever have one of those weeks that was just kind of overwhelming, kind of burdensome and just like, you know, just kind of one of those sense of like, oh man, and, and it kind of lost, it wasn't crushing. I don't have, you know, uh, there's no health problems in my family or anything like that. It's just one of them weeks. <clears throat> and um, as I was um, I was thinking back over the messages, my own messages. Uh, I thought, you know what? I have to go back to the Lord. And I just can't tough it out. You know what I mean? And I'm a little stubborn. So it takes me a day or two to figure that out instead of a few minutes, but went back to the Lord and he used words from my own message, which is always, always bittersweet for me. <laughs> words from my own message be like, Hey, um, I didn't just give this message for RCC. I gave it for you. <clears throat> and so I had to put some of those things into practice. And he reminded me of something that I'm going to give you a practical tip today um, that might uh, help you in your walk with the Lord going forward is uh, a few months ago, or actually early February, so several months ago, um, I was, you know, kind of in the middle. You guys all know that, you know, I was looking for work for like four months in the middle of all that. And uh, so February, I was in the middle of all that, like still looking for work and had prospects falling apart. And God just dealt with me on trusting him and make, maintaining my faith in him as long before we ever got into this series. And so um, I, I do things online, like videos online, try to help encourage believers of Christ throughout the, you know, throughout who, whoever would see him just throughout the world. And um, but I, I made a video for myself and it was about 10 minutes and I just talked to the video and I said, and somewhere in the future, I know you're going to need to be reminded of some things. And this February, you still don't have a job. You still don't have all these things. You know, you still got some of these worries and things like that. However, this is what the Lord, I want to remind you what the Lord showed, showed you and all that kind of stuff. And it was a time where I got to go back and listen to my own self for 10 minutes, encourage me, <clears throat> um, with my own words. And what I said in the video was I'm making this, um, I'm making this for me in case you need some of this encouragement in the future, come back and watch this. And it was a moment and the Lord brought that up to me. And I thought, oh man, this would probably be one of those moments because I don't really exactly remember what I said. So I went back and watched it again. And it was a moment for me to remind myself, not just me, myself, but my self, that selfish self centered self seeking part of us that we always war with that hey you're not in control that i have decided a long time ago to maintain my faith to keep it in christ subject my life to him and so i was telling myself that you don't run this that i'm maintaining my faith my trust my belief in god even though circumstances might be hard at a at a moment i am not at the mercy 
of my limited feelings. I'm not at the mercy of my unknown future. I'm not at the mercy of the, the feelings I have at the moment. Who I am at the mercy of is Almighty God. And what uh, who that Almighty God just so happens to be my Heavenly Father, who I have a direct relationship with, who we converse all the time. And if he's for us, who can be against us? And so <clears throat> if you're someone who's struggling with your faith, I want to encourage you to think back on the time where you weren't, where things were good. You, the Lord just did something. He just answered a prayer. You asked him for something and bam, it came right away. Or he worked out a situation that took a long time and he proved himself faithful in the middle of it. If you're struggling in your faith, or you're wavering in that, think back to that time. And if you're someone who's in the middle of a great season right now where you are encouraged, you are full of faith, your faith is strong, either write down or take the technology that we have in our hand every day and record yourself an encouragement video for yourself later on. Because there is going to come a point where you're not going to feel as good as you feel right now. I'm living proof of it. And all of y'all can probably say that you've experienced the same thing. And let the Lord remind you, go back and watch that and let your own words, your own lesson, your own um, uh, learnings from the Spirit of God and His Word encourage you further down the line. Just a little practical tip for you because it's something that really worked for me. <clears throat> when I went back through my phone and found that video, and I, it, I was watching myself, you know, tears in my eyes, encouraging me at the moment. I thought, man, how good is God to know that I'm going to be struggling with this several months from now. And I'm going to keep it for the next time I'm struggling and, you know, warring with some self, with, with some, you know, self issues, you know what I mean? Some flesh issues. And I'm going to need that in the future. I thought, man, how good is God not just to provide in the middle of it and use it at that moment, but let it have a ripple effect down the line where I can remind myself of the goodness of God. <clears throat> I thought, man, how, how good is he? And that led me to think about this entire idea that God is good. <clears throat> um, I want to use a, a word with you real quick that some of you um, it's a, a larger word and you may go, huh? And it's used in theology. Um, and I want to explain, explain it to you before we kind of get too deep into the message. And that word is presupposition. Presupposition is basically something that's baked in from the start. So let me give you an example of a Christian presupposition. All of us start when we are dealing with a situation in our life, a complex issue, um, we're dealing with a struggle, we're dealing with a win, a loss, whatever. We're dealing with a personal failure, a, a family struggle, something that's, you know, really bothering us. We operate with these truths in mind. God is real. Jesus is his only begotten son. He lived the sinless life. You know, he, his death, burial, and resurrection. He rose on the third day. Faith in him is the only way we get to heaven. <clears throat> All of those things are baked in our foundation for how we approach everything. And if we are struggling with something, we go back to those and go, well, I know this about God. We presuppose or before we determine before we go into a situation or we think about something that we're dealing with that God is in control. We talked about it last week. He's sovereign. All those things are baked in at the beginning. I want us to bake in another truth 
at the beginning. The beginning of any situation, the beginning of any worry, the beginning of dealing with any disappointment. I want you to bake in one more truth. And that truth is God is good. He's good. <clears throat> Psalms 92, 15. It's the first verse there in your notes. The Lord is upright. He is my rock. And there is no wickedness in him. Nahum 1, 7. The Lord is good a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. Psalm 107, eight through nine. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. He satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. Psalm 31, 19. How great is the goodness you have stored up for those who fear you. This is David talking to God. You lavish it, his goodness, on those who come to you for protection, blessing them before the, <clears throat> before the watching world. I could spend the rest of the time that we have in our, in our weekly meeting here together and just read scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture that continually points back to the truth that should be baked in in everything that we deal with, everything that we do, everything we understand. Many of these would be straight out of Psalms, but I could find them all over the Bible and just read to you the words of scripture that talks about God is good. He just doesn't do good. He just doesn't decide good. He is good. Now, for all my old school Pentecostal folks in the room who was raised like me, <clears throat> when we say God is good, there's a little, uh, like a little banter, a little back and forth that happens here. So don't be afraid. I'm going to test and see how Pentecostal you were as a kid. All right, you ready? Uh, so when we say that word, God is good, all the and God is good, right? Okay, good. So that's everybody. All y'all, all y'all had somebody shaking and marching and, you know, prancing in your church, jumping when they were singing, right? Yeah, everybody had somebody <laughs> in the choir, uh, like we were talking about earlier. You, you all had somebody like that, right? You all understand that, you know, 20 years ago when I first heard that, I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. It might have been, it might have been 30 years ago, actually, now that I think about it, but, um, that, that's kind of cool. Then it got kind of worn out over time, right? Because you'd see somebody at work who was a believer. You'd be like, man, how you doing? Like, man, God's good all the time. And they'd wait for you all the time. God is good. Like you would have to resolve it or it was like a hanging chad, right? It's something that couldn't, it wouldn't resolve. Something didn't feel right, like in music. Like just end it. Don't end on that one chord. End on the, the final one. Let it resolve, you know? <clears throat> but on the flip side of this, outside of kind of our church world and our Pentecostal uh, sphere of influence, there's a lot of people in our culture that when you say God is good, they immediately get upset. And the reason they get upset is because when you say God is good, they think about all the terrible things that have ever happened in their life. They go back and think about the time that <clears throat> you know, somebody hurt them or said something mean to them, hurt their feelings, disappointed them, lied to them, betrayed them, took advantage of them. And they think about all this stuff and they're so caught up in the emotion of that anger and that frustration and that, um, uh, that disappointment that they go, how in the world could God be good if these things have happened? And then 
everybody in here knows that you find what you're looking for and they go back throughout history and find atrocities and terrible things that have happened and young children passing away and you know and why did this person die in the wreck and this person survive or you know why did this bad terrible thing happen to this person they were so good they were so important to me and they passed away and then you know the this other person who i don't even like you know if i would have had it my way i would have flipped them <laughs> like kill the other one and let the, the good one live you know what i mean <clears throat> and what they do is they position themselves as if they are the moral authority they say things like if god is good then why is there evil in the world if god is good how could um that be true if something bad happened and i can list off all the bad things that have ever happened to me because i've never forgot i don't want to i don't want to diminish or make light of trauma, very real. You have childhood trauma that can last an entire lifetime into adulthood. You got people who have <clears throat> experienced things in grade school that have derailed their life off of one encounter because someone, some teacher mouthed off and said something because of whatever reason. <clears throat> in a recent debate, um, there was a young man who had a lot of this trauma. He was a younger man and he was, he was asked to debate the position and he was an atheist, but it became very clear that he was just a hurt young man that, was, that had some of these similar type of attitudes. Like I've had all this bad stuff in my life happen, so how could God be good? He tried to make the case that because bad things have happened in the world throughout history and in his individual life and the lives of the people he knew that there is no way in the world that you could say god is good when he created all this and there's so much bad <clears throat> now we touched on this a little bit last week but it's worth revisiting in a little bit different um in a little bit different scenario but remember that God has given every single person a choice to act in accordance with his law, his instruction, and his standard. And when it comes to us, we want our freedom of choice to remain. But when it comes to other people's decisions that impact us, we want God to take their freedom away. It's either we all have it or none of us do. And if someone operates outside of those godly instructions, there are consequences, not just for the one who is disobedient or rebellious, but for those who were on the receiving end of those actions that were disobedient. <clears throat> Many people look at the atrocities in human history, the people who, um, the, 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 you know, the, it's often said that the 19th and 20th centuries were the most deadly um, in human history, recorded human history, because you have the leaders of China and the leaders of Russia and communist regimes who each individually separately murdered between 20 and 40 million of their own countrymen <clears throat> out of the sheer pursuit of selfish power. People look at the atrocities throughout human history like those, like the Holocaust, like terrible things that have happened, natural disasters and all of the death, all of the disease, the, the poverty that is in the world. And they and they look at it and go, I judge all of this from my position. 
if I was in control, if I was running things, there wouldn't be any of this. They feel as if they have the knowledge, the character, and the integrity to call the Almighty God into question. What we don't realize is that when we take that posture of, why did this happen to me? You got to explain what happened to me. My parents used to love, uh, I love Lucy, right? When, when I was younger and Ricky Ricardo's favorite line was Lucy, you know, you've got some explaining to do, right? And I, there's a lot of people who look at God with that same attitude, like, hey, bro, you got some explaining to do to me. And when you do that and condescend God, you are in essence saying, I have a higher moral standard than anyone else who's lived, than all the apostles, than all of the brilliant philosophers, all the people who are in science, all the people who are in education. I have a greater moral stance than any of them because I'm elevating myself above Jesus, above God to look down on him and say, how dare you let that happen to me? And then you call yourself good. You've got some explaining to do. This is a wildly dangerous posture to be in. If you, the only way that you could take this posture is believing that there is no God. Because if you believe there is a God and that's your attitude in approaching him, uh, my friend, you are in some serious trouble. The young man from that debate, I had to pause and stop his video over and over, start and stop his video over and over again to get this quote down because I'm not super fast at typing <clears throat> and my space bar is jacked up on my keyboard, this side issue, I, this is my personal issue. Um, but here's what he said, quote, he's an atheist who's been hurt, thinks God isn't good. This is what he says. If by some miracle I would wind up in heaven and as you say, I get to enjoy in an eternity in the president, in the presence of this ugly creator, my only question would be, do I have to enjoy it? because I don't think I would be able to. Now, my first reaction, <laughs> my first reaction, I'll just be, I'll just be honest with you, was you pretentious little twerp, like, like somebody needs to yank you by that collar and straighten you out, right? That was my first thing. I was like, oh, no, Matt, that was, that was Ron Poole. That was my dad. That wasn't me. You know what I mean? I got to ease up on that a little bit, right? Um, that was my first reaction and then as this holy spirit began to check me and go hey um he he is out, he is way out of line but i don't think he really believes that i think when you are in the middle of rebellion you say and think some crazy stuff let me personalize that when i was in the midst of my rebellion i thought and said some crazy stuff. I'm sure there were people who thought that pretentious little twerp would have been the nicest thing they could have found to say about me. I was insufferable. I knew I was right. You couldn't tell me nothing. I was just, <clears throat> just determined that there was only what I understood. And as I listened to the words of this young man, and I thought, man, what a dangerous heart posture to be in. Do you really think there's a God? And when I'm praying that that young God, I pray that that man comes to faith and he realizes, oh my gosh, 
what that I say and he experiences the grace that God can give because God can forgive it for all. <clears throat> but I want to look back um, on the time that many of us now, when we were younger, and this may still happen to some of you now, but let's just think about the time when you're younger, especially my old school folks. <clears throat> let's think back a time where your parents, like your mother or father, told you, hey, need you to get in there and clean that room. Now, you didn't understand, right? It was just like, why do I got to clean this? I'm just going to mess it up later. Well, I got to clean my bed. That's still kind of my question, right? Why do you make your bed? I'm just going to sleep in the thing in a few more hours, right? Like, that doesn't make any sense to me, right? So the the as kids, you're kind of like, ah, I'm just going to mess it up later on. And then I don't want to do it right now. I, I'm, I'm at school. You know, I've been at school the whole day. You know, I'm, I'm tired. I got homework. Now you want me to clean my room? And and then they're like, hey, don't let me tell you again. You get up and you start mumbling. Clean the stupid room. And then you hear a voice from behind you. What was that? Nothing. I was reciting my vocabulary words for homework or whatever it was, you know. <clears throat> you get in there and you clean the room, even though you don't want to do it, because there's a principle involved of responsibility, of caring for what you have, of discipline, of making sure that you, that you um, are a good steward of things that you possess. So imagine for a second, because all of you have had that scenario, imagine for a second that you didn't get up and go clean that room. In the Samoan culture, this ends with a sandal flying across the room, you know, in the redneck culture, it ends with a leather belt coming off my dad's waist, right? Like, <clears throat> but let's just for imagine, just pretend because none of you would ever do this. But let's just pretend for a second that this situation went differently. And they said, hey, get in there and clean the room. Just imagine someone responding. Uh, Look here, old man. Look here, old woman. Uh, my friend at school was mean to me today. The lady at the cafeteria was rude. She gave me that cardboard square looking piece of pizza with cold carrots that looked like they were cut by that machine from Chick-fil-A. Old, hard, crumbly brownie and a carton of milk that I wasn't even sure was in date. And when she threw that out at me, she was so rude. My teacher in my third period class stepped on my foot. And get this, she didn't even apologize. The bus driver yelled at me to sit down while he was driving on the way home. And I didn't find out till after I got home that my sister, who got up first and went to the bathroom, used my toothbrush. And I didn't know it until right now. I've been walking around with that in my mouth the whole day. This is, this is gross. And you know what else? I heard a whole bunch of people from my school. They had a rough time, too. Their parents weren't nice to them. They forgot their lunch box or their school, their lunch money at the at, at home. They didn't have any of that. <clears throat> now here's the turn. My life was miserable. You're the one who helped bring me into this world. So it's your fault that I'm miserable. You're the one that participated in this union that resulted in me being here. You're the one who made my life and my life is terrible. All of this is your fault. What would have happened to you? Not you, because you wouldn't have said that. To the person, 
that would have been in your shoes that said that to your mom or dad? Yeah, you in trouble. Yeah, that's a light way to put it, right? Like, there you go. There you go. That was, that's what I wrote. You would have woken up off the floor for <laughs> several minutes in the future to the sound of your mom booking you a dental appointment to put the teeth back in that you just lost out of your mouth from that backhand, right? <clears throat> right? Mo Look, and it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, you know, elementary, you know, example, but um, and, but if we were if we were to look at from the outside in, if you would have heard somebody talking to your to their dad that way, you're at your friend's house, right? And you would have heard them talking to their dad that way. You probably more than likely would have done something like, "Bro, your dad just got home from work. He worked the whole day. His paycheck bought the food that we're about to eat here at dinner. His paycheck bought those clothes that are on your back and the shoes that are on your feet." You got a house that he pays the mortgage for and you get to live inside it under the roof, not in the backyard, rent free. There you go. Uh, can I get an amen? There you go. Um, he didn't have anything to do with how bad your experience was. That was other people. And that response would make complete, perfect sense. Now, the analogy is super elementary in its comparison, but this is exactly the principles of what people do with God. I had a bad experience. Something terrible happened to me. And because of the actions of other people misusing the freedom that they were given by you, it's your fault, God. God has the power, the authority, and the right to crush us like the rebellion, disobedient, arrogant children we are. And guess what? He would be justified in doing so because his standard is holiness and perfection, which left all of us a long time ago. But he is not vengeful. He's not hateful. He's not harsh. He understands that we are weak and imperfect. He is good. The fact that he doesn't immediately wipe us from the planet because of our outright disobedience is further evidence of his goodness. The fact that he didn't not just forgive me, the fact that he didn't just look at me when I knew right from wrong, and I still went and did wrong anyway, and then welcome me back and open up a way for me to be still in right standing with him blows my mind. You have not experienced that level of goodness. And my friend, anybody who wants God to answer their questions about their moral standard is trying to say that their moral standard is higher than God's. And I've got bad news for you if that's your posture. It is not. Because I can walk through things that happened this week with you that disqualify you eternally. Some of them never came out of your mouth, did they? Some of them were just thoughts in your head. This is not good. What I'm thinking about doing to cope with my struggle right now is not good. 
God doesn't have to explain anything to you. He made you. He's the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. He caused the air to be at the perfect, um, the, the perfect percentages so that you would breathe it in your lungs and, and lungs and it would sustain your life. He didn't just make the air. He made the lungs that breathe that air. You woke up this morning, you have the elements and opportunities to do what you need to do to, to, to survive today. My guess is none of us woke up and wondered, am I going to make it till the end of the day because of X, Y, and Z? Most of us did not wake up in that position. Most of us are here living in the most wealthy, generous, free country that ever lived, far from perfect, not something that you know it can be looked at with just held up as a standard of perfection for the world, but it still does not negate the fact there's more freedom, more opportunity, more wealth anywhere in this country than there ever has been in human history. And you have access to all of it because he's good. We need to remember that in every life circumstance, God is good. Yeah. And that's the first big, huge line on your notes is God is good. He is good. We need to remember that he is good in every one of life's circumstances. We need to approach every situation that we deal with specific to our life understanding that he is good. The situation might be really jacked up. Like things might be really screwy. It might be messy. You might have wounds or scars from people who have misused the freedom of choice that has been given to them by God. But you also have access to a God who can fix it, heal your heart, set you free, give you new hope, secure your steps, point out your future, and erase your many, 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 did I say many, sins. He is good. We could just end right there and just bask and think about, man, how good has God been to me? How many people do you know whose life took a strange, crazy, devastating turn and you thought, man, I almost went with them that night? How many family members have you been so close to making a similar decision and then you veered off at the last second, you decided not to participate, not to go, not to walk in the room, not to walk out of the house, not to get in the car, not to do whatever it is to fill in the blank. And they had an impact from it and you did it. In all things, he's good. His character is impeccable. His integrity can never be questioned. His level of goodness can never be compared to. He, God, is good. I'm hoping this week you take some time to reminisce on his goodness. 
how he came through for you, how he answered the request, how he heard you up. Let me let me use the lyrics, how he picked me up, he turned me around, he set my feet on solid ground, he got me away from all the things that were the craziness that would have ended in a, a life completely different than the one I have. He is good. <clears throat> but because he is good, we should have faith to, and I'm only going to talk about one thing today, the result of that goodness in our life means we should have faith to, number one in your notes, pray. You should have faith to pray. <clears throat> I had no clue. I never drew the line between my faith was informing my prayer. That what I believed about God and his goodness was a determining factor on if and when and how fervent I was in prayer. Philippians 4, 6 through 7, this is Paul talking to believers. He says this, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> now, the first part of that in my very legalistic um, upbringing, uh, uh, you know, Christian Jesus checklist kind of mind. Don't worry about anything and said, pray about everything. Okay, cool. That's one of those things I'm supposed to do as a Christian. I'm not supposed to worry. I'm supposed to pray. I get it. Yes, I'll, 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 I'll do that. Check. But when you really drill down and look at that, how are you not supposed to worry about anything? You're not supposed to have a great level of concern about anything? And not just a, a great level of concern, but one that drifts into worry. How do I default to prayer instead of defaulting to worry? Because in my own personal experience this week, uh, Matt defaulted to worry. How do I default to prayer? How do we as believers execute on that command? How do we do that? Because I've been in plenty of situations, and I'm guessing that some of y'all have too, that there had been life and death moments or something that was severe in your life, and you were overcome by worry. How do we as believers look at his words and say, I'm not going to worry. I'm going to pray. I'm not defaulting here. I'm defaulting to go before his throne. <clears throat> and when I asked the Lord this question, he went back and showed me again. The whole series. Look at the next line, next couple lines of your notes. Week one. How, how do you not default to worry? How do you default to prayer? Week one. You have a confidence and a conviction, and you are convinced that the gospel, next line of your notes, is true. The gospel is true. That there is a God. He sent his only son. He was crucified, buried in a borrowed tomb, raised three days later. Belief in him is the only way to heaven. We are convinced that that is true. The second thing, week two, faith moves us to action. That belief 
in him moves informs our actions and forms what we do week three faith changes our perspectives as we're moving as that the reality of of jesus's transformational power in our life regenerates our heart the spirit of god fills us we start stepping in and doing things differently because what we're being transformed by the renewing of our mind our perspective is changing and as our perspective changes, it makes us not look at the bad things in our life and demand God be held accountable to us for why they went wrong. We start thinking about things in a different way. And week four, we talked about we're reminded exactly who God is. We are reminded exactly who God is. So if we have a conviction and a confidence the gospel is true and faith moves us to action, and our perspectives on life and struggles have changed, and we're reminded exactly of who God is. And we also remember that he is good. That right there takes me away from worry. Those truths tell that, that the faith that we have that is encapsulated in those five elements looks at our fear, looks at our worry, looks at our stress and says, hey, simmer down a little bit, bud. Push that to the side. I got to go talk to my dad. I got to go talk to my heavenly father. I got to go talk to him because I know who he is. I am convinced it is true. He has informed my action. My perspective has changed. And my goodness, I am not going to forget that he is good in every single element and every single situation in my life. His goodness is never called into question. Our faith doesn't only tell our fear to simmer down, but it also drives us to pray and to next on your night and notes, make your requests known to God. Why do we make our requests known to God if we have no faith in him that he can hear us, that he exists, that he cares, that he's personal, that he would save us, that he even has one ounce of concern about what happens in our life? Why would we even bother to pray? Your faith informs your prayer. First John 5, 13 through 14. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Uh, that's us. So that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence, that word that's tied to faith, that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. <clears throat> there's part of me that wishes um, that if we, that the scripture ended that if we ask anything he hears us those four words change it according to his will <clears throat> next on your notes we ask for things that are in line with God's purpose like what's in line with his purpose? It is God's will, his desire for every person to come to repentance. That won't happen. We already understand that because of freedom of choice. But his, his want is for all of us to be reconciled to him, to be forgiven, to reject the rebellion and, and have faith in his son. So it is appropriate for you to pray for the salvation of people. 
Why? It's according to his will. Uh, I don't care how much you pray and believe that in the next 20 minutes or so after this service is done, you're going to walk outside and there's a angel with the keys to a brand new Bugatti <laughs> waiting for you, paid, gifted, all the taxes were paid on the gift. Here, hallelujah. We go, he got, God goes all the way, right? <clears throat> We're asking for the full thing, the full king caboodle. He gives you the keys and then he banishes and said, this is yours, brother. I don't care how much you believe that's going to happen and how much you pray that's going to happen. Uh, what's the purpose of you having that car? I'm not saying to have it, it's wrong. What's the purpose? So people can drive around and look at you? So you can start a YouTube channel and tell people, let me tell you how I got this Bugatti. So you can go and build and write a book and sell it to church people and say, if you want Bugatti too, God gives Bugatti. I call it my God got it. Whatever. I don't know. <clears throat> right? You know somebody would do that. God gotta, Bugatti for you, right? <laughs> none of that, none of that points back to him. We got a lot of people who are praying and believing for miracles, for healing, for things that if God gave you what you were asking for, there would be zero glory for him and only glory for us. Extend my life, God. For what purpose? So you can continue to be the selfish, idolatrous, greedy person. Your faith, no matter what you're looking for, what you're praying for, has to be in line with what his purpose, his will, his desire really is. <clears throat> James chapter one, verse five through eight, he talks about another thing that we should ask for. We've already talked about salvation is appropriate to ask for. God is the healer. It's appropriate to pray for healing. It is um, uh, appropriate to ask for forgiveness. It's appropriate to pray for your needs to be met. It's appropriate for to, to pray for an open door so that you can uh, follow God through it. There's a lot of things that are appropriate. And there's another thing that James lists as appropriate to pray for in this chapter. And then after he lists it, he kind of sidesteps and says, but let me tell you how you should ask for this. Verse five, if you need wisdom, there it is. Ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith, there's that word, is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they're unstable in everything they do. I love James. He's bottom line. He might have Polynesian blood in him, actually, for those. He just walks right up and says what needs to be said. <clears throat> I only got a letter that's short, five chapters in length, and all y'all going to get some from, from it, right? Like he's dealing it out for everybody. 
Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. I don't often um, use the message translation because it's not even really a translation. It's a paraphrase. I don't use it for study. There's some times where you can read it and it says something in a way where you go, man, that's, I think that's really good. It kind of is like a good, a good thing, way to describe that to a modern culture. And in this particular passage, I thought how the message paraphrase captured this, um, this, this passage was very um, targeted for us today. Here's what that same passage says in the message. If you don't know what you're doing, pray to the Father. He loves to help. You'll get his help and won't be condescended to when you ask for it. <clears throat> ask boldly, believingly, and without a second thought. People who, quote, worry their prayers are like wind-whipped waves. Don't think you're going to get anything from the master that way, adrift at sea, keeping all your options open. Next on your notes, people who worry our, if we worry our prayers, they will not be answered. <clears throat> we must pray. Faith informs our prayer and we must pray in faith. <clears throat> um, my kind of, mental picture when I hear that worry their prayers is kind of military-esque, so just bear with me. Um, if you're someone who has a sniper rifle, you're looking for a specific target. You're judging the, the wind and the barometric pressure depending on the distance, and if it's super far, you know, if your target's super far, you're judging the, the rotation of the earth, the weight of the bullet, the, you know, the speed that it's going to get there, the humidity, all these things, you're calculating them all, so you're going to pinpoint accuracy when you're looking at a target. But if you're using a grenade, you just pull the pin, lob that thing over there, and... Hope the shrapnel catches somebody. Very less accurate, very less pinpointed. Just chuck it, boom, get somebody. <clears throat> this is what, it's kind of the word picture I have in my mind when I think about worrying their prayers. It's like prayer grenades. I'm not going to God with an understanding he is good, calculating in he is in control, calculating in his sovereignty, calculating in all of the things that, I have learned about him. What I'm doing is going, need some help here. Hope you're going to do something. And lobbing the prayer up to heaven as if, I don't know if you can do anything or if you will, but I could use a little help down here. God, I don't know what to do. I just don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know what the decision to make. Oh my gosh, are my kids going to be okay? Or is my family going to be okay? Is my husband going to be okay? Is my wife going to be okay? Is my is my neighbor going to be okay? Is my dog? No one prays with their dog. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, whatever else is something else going to be okay. I'm just I'm just worried, God. Prayer grenades, just hoping, lofting them up, without any understanding, any faith that it's going to work. Just hoping that a little bit will catch somewhere and God will show up and respond. Those are the prayers that don't get answered. 
there's a passage of scripture I didn't I didn't put in your notes, but it says the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. We just saw how prayer is not effective. Worrying the prayers, just lobbing it up there, hoping God would hear it and maybe catch his attention a little bit of the CEO of heaven. Maybe he'll work me in between one of his meetings. That's how your prayers don't get answered. But the effective prayer, prayers that happen with faith, those consistent prayers of faith, they begin to produce quite a bit of fruit. <clears throat> there is a ton of power in your prayer. And if you operate from the point that God is good, it changes how you endure hardship and what you ask him for in the middle of it. Maybe, maybe the frustrating situation or the irritation that's going on in your circumstances, maybe God allows that because it's going to push you to an end that he wants you to be. Maybe the discomfort that you experience, maybe the unsettling at your job or your career path or your school or fill in the blank, whatever it is, maybe that unsettling, maybe he's not the one who's causing the strife, but he's going, you know what, I'm going to let that happen because you're going to move from that. I know what your response is going to be. And I'm going to let this person's disobedience put you in a position where I want you because you will fully follow me in faith. When you realize that God is good in every situation, changes how overwhelmed I am. Changes how angry I am. It changes what I pray for. Some of the things that you experience in life is just a product of wickedness, evil intentions of people. And the goodness of God still heals. He still restores. He still gives back what you lost. And these things happen and are informed through prayer. <clears throat> I want to wrap up today telling you a, a true story of a missionary who was deep into the um, into remote areas in Africa. He um he was based out of Michigan, United States, and felt God called him there. So his home church, along with a bunch of other churches, were supporting him monthly. And he um, he had a medical background, so he went to a field hospital in Africa to serve. His whole goal was that he would help people physically, and while he's helping them, he would begin to tell them the good news of the gospel. Why I was brought here is not just to help you physically, but to bring your spirit and your soul eternal life. He was on furlough. He came home, and he was there with his at his home church in Michigan, and they asked him, man, we're so excited to see you. Can you come and speak? at our service on Sunday and just tell some of the testimonies of things that we'll never see, but that you experience about God's faithfulness and his goodness in the mission field. The man came and, and stood in front of the church 
and began to tell his stories. And he told one particular story about um, uh, how God spared his life. See, he was so deep into these villages in the jungle that he would have to travel every two weeks to a nearby larger city to get the money that people were submitting or, or were sponsoring him with and supporting him with, use that money to buy medicine and supplies and then travel two days back to this remote area. He would travel one day into the jungle and then he would camp for the night. See, that's where I couldn't do this. See, this is the guy did not call me to be a missionary that goes into the jungle and be sleeping in with jungle snakes because I cannot be doing that, right? Like, I just, uh, uh, Lord, help me. Like, I'm gonna wake up next to a python and then I, he don't have to touch me. I'll just see him and be like, it's over. Boom, you know, I'm dead, <clears throat> right? So this, I know why the Lord did not call me to this, right? So he, so, but this gentleman, he got more guts than I did. How, bless him. Glory, Lord. Yeah, he needs another jewel in his crown in heaven because I couldn't do it. <clears throat> so he, he, he goes into the middle of the jungle and camps out and then goes the next day and gets the supplies and then comes back and camps out and then takes another day's journey to get back to where he was so he can work at the, <clears throat> at the field hospital. One one of the times that he went from this remote location into the city, when he got there, he stumbled upon these two men who were in a brutal fist fight. And there was one person who was seriously, seriously injured. He just rushed to him with a background in medicine and he helped care for him and bandage his wounds and kind of helped him get everything back together and, and patched him up and shared about the Lord with him. Didn't think anything else of it. He has helped many people in a similar way before. He went to the bank. He went and got his money, bought the supplies. And then he went <clears throat> Then he went home and spent the night in the jungle. And the next day, he was back in the bush at the field hospital. He did that every two weeks. And so two weeks after, he had seen these gentlemen fighting. And he helped that man. Two weeks later, he's out of supplies. He goes back, spends the night in the jungle, and then makes it to the city. And when he goes to the city, the young man that he helped is waiting for him. And he walked up to him and said, I just want to tell you kind of what was happening, uh, what was happening and, and um, after you took care of me last week, just he had a guilty conscience and wanted to come clean. He said, my friends and I know that you're not from around here. Michigan guy, the middle of Africa, kind of easy to see. <clears throat> We know you're not from around here. So we were asking people what you were doing and they told us you would buy medicine and supplies and then take them back to the field hospital. So me and five of my friends said, um, we're just gonna follow this guy into the jungle. We knew you couldn't get all the way back to that field hospital in one day. So you were probably camping out. So we followed you. And the guy was like, what? I didn't know anybody was following me. It's like, yeah, we kept our distance, but we followed you. And our plan was that night, all of us were going to overpower you, kill you, take any money you had left, all your supplies and your medicine. <clears throat> we were going to make sure that we had all of that and that you just wound up dead in the jungle somewhere. And the guy goes, well, thanks for telling me, but why didn't you do it? He goes, we, 
couldn't do it because of the 26 armed men that travel with you. And the, the missionary went, <laughs> what are you talking about, bro? Like I have to come back here every two weeks to buy supplies. You think I can hire to one person, much less 26 armored guards to get me back? He goes, he goes, no, dude. He goes, no, we were, we were, we counted them. He's like, yeah, you might've counted them, but were you on some medicine? You know what I mean? Like some natural stuff, like that bitter herb, like were you, were you hallucinating? He's like, no, I didn't only count them, but the five people who were with us counted because we realized we were out outnumbered by more than five to one. And we couldn't calculate how all of us could overcome five different people. And so we backed off and left you alone. While he's in his church in Michigan, standing, telling his story, a man stands up in the middle of his message and says, I'm sorry to interrupt your sermon, sir, but I have to know, what day was that? And he told him the date. He said, what time of day was that? And he said, well, it was would have happened at nighttime in Africa. And they did all the calculations of time, would have been the morning here. And he said, why are you asking me that, sir? He's like, well, I went with some of my friends that morning on my day off to play some golf. And I walked up to the green and had my putter in my hand, was about to make my shot. And I was overrun with this burden to pray for you immediately. He's like, I walked off of the green. I walked off of the golf course and I called all the men that were in this prayer group at my church. And I said, we have to pray for him. And don't just tell me you're going to do that. We have to go to the sanctuary and we have to meet right now. I don't know what's going on with him. I don't have a text. I don't have a call. I don't have a message. I don't have a letter. I don't have nothing. I just know that there's something in me that goes, you've got to pray for him right now. So it's a meet and pray for him. <clears throat> He's like, and sir, we all met and we prayed for you. And the missionary said, well, all of the men who prayed that night, will you please stand up? And one by one, they stood up and he doesn't remember any of their names because he was too busy counting them. There were 26. 26. <clears throat> when I heard that, my first question was how much am I undervaluing prayer how much am I undervaluing faithfully going to God and talking to him directly you might ask well couldn't God just protect his life why did he have to prompt this person to pray and get these guys together and get them off the golf course and come over here well remember without faith it is impossible to please God and this man feeling this compulsion obediently responds and people respond. And when they pray and hear what God did with that prayer, their faith is built. The missionary who didn't even know his life was at risk, his faith in the God who's protecting him is built. And the young man who saw 26 people who weren't there now has an opportunity to have an encounter where faith is birthed in him. Every aspect of that prayer was met with faith for every person who was involved.
it either directly built their faith or gave them a new evidence or insight about coming to faith. All of that because faithful, obedient prayer. <clears throat> if you are somewhere and you are listening, you're, you're at work, you're at home, you're having a cup of coffee somewhere, and you get this overwhelming sense in your heart about one of your brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm not talking about like a single guy who's thinking about that single girl who sits in church who she you never not think about her. I'm not talking about that. Talking about you have this compulsion. Why in the world is this person coming across my heart? I have no clue. Stop right there and pray for them. I don't have to pray for it. It don't matter. You start, God, whatever they need, give it to them right now. If they need protection, give it to them right now. If they need provision, give it to them right now. If they need to get out of a troubling situation, give it to them right now. Open the door right now. Whatever it is that they need, I'm praying for you right now. Pray for them right then. At that moment. Why? Faith is the conviction and confidence that what we ask for and how do we ask prayer will happen according to God's purpose. We need to reprioritize faith-filled prayer. <clears throat> Max Licato said this, and then I'll wrap up. This is his quote. Our prayers may be awkward. Our attempts may be feeble. But since the power of prayer is in the one who hears it and not the one who says it, our prayers do make a difference. What you believe about God and his goodness will determine how, when, and the frequency of which we pray. <clears throat>